Oh, hi there. Hello. Hey now. Hola. And ba weep grana weep mini bong. However you want to say it. Welcome to that Kev One Show. My legendary guest today is someone who saw the future in his pen and whose work changed cinema and touched the pulse of the world and pop culture. He's a teacher, photographer, award winner, and co-creator of Robocop. Welcome to the show, Michael Miner. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, I, I thank you very much for um, uh, expressing an interest in my um, feeble <laughs> Buddhist-like scratchings on the universe. <laughs> I mean, we all we all might be dust in the wind, perhaps, but I mean, you definitely are a, a definitely a higher higher molehill of dust for sure, a monument, I'd say. Right? Definitely, I mean, you know, I mean, there's even new RoboCop video games touching new generations, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I want to steal that H higher elevation of dust. Can I can I use that? Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> higher elevation of dust. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Say that in restaurants. Excuse me, ma'am. I'm a higher elevation of dust. Uh, you know. <laughs> Whoa, they might put me out on the patio in the rain. Oh, I love it. <laughs> How are you doing in Hollywood right now? Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I just finished a um, the the last finishing touches on a pilot and. Uh, Bible for a streaming series um, about, uh, I guess you'd have to call them hyper-objects, those things that um, are too big to understand in their complexity. So it's a paranoid thriller. Wow. It's called Smart Mouse, and I have a great director and producers attached, and we're going to try to set it up next year. Awesome. Wow. Oh, awesome. Yeah. 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 What more can you tell us about that without getting in trouble? Like, have you not quite sold it yet, or is there an NDA involved? Yeah, yeah, no, still... no, yeah, yeah. We're, we're on the precipice of selling, but these mm. producers are very well connected and mm. have uh, given me great notes. I've been working on it for quite a few years, not as long as the pyramids, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it just takes a long time to get these things good and to the point where they may be worthy of being broadcast. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, for, like, um, like when they say uh, with art and everything, those who can't do teach, like, I feel like they're almost, I don't, know I, I don't want to, you know, bash acting lessons or writing lessons, but I feel like artists are artists, and it's like whenever I write or create a character, it's, to me, at least my method, it's like a developing picture. So sometimes, you know, if I'm trying to create a comic or a screenplay, it might take forever, and, you know, a lot of us artists are spinning a lot of plates, and, you know, there's that stereotype we don't finish a lot of our work, you know, because... But the inspiration's yeah, not there. No, it's not it's, true. You know, you agree, probably? I, I very well put, Kevin. Mm -hmm. um, there, there was a great study on two different kinds of artists. The, um, the conceptual and the, um, trying to remember the name of the other category. Uh, well, let's put it this way. Um, Picasso, Orson Welles, and T.S. Eliot all worked out their art ahead of time before they'd started anything. Hmm. Uh, um, uh, Picasso said, I don't paint what I see, I paint what I think. And that's the conceptual artist. Hmm. And the other type of artist builds their artwork as they're going. David Lynch, hmm. um, several of the uh, impressionists would work on pieces and add new dabs of paint over a 10-year period. So... I think it's important for your listeners to try to decide what kind of process they do when they do their art. Um, that, that that's an important step. Yeah. Oh, I yeah couldn't agree more for sure. <laughs> oh man, and so, like, you, so so you're a writer as well. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always been that. So it's kind of like you know, maybe you can relate or not, but like you know, when you're a little kid, everyone's like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" People are like, "An astronaut, or this or I don't know." And like I just always knew, I was a like an actor, writer. I just kind of always knew that, you know, like I'd be on the playground and I'd, you know, people are you're make believe in your Optimus Prime or Green Arrow or Robocop, and like you just kind of keep going. I was doing a kind of method in my head, even when I went home and everything, you know, as 
was at the Autobot headquarters and said, but it, you know, internalizing and stuff. So and I was always writing and stuff and drawing little comic panels. I wish I was a better uh, actual artist, you know, being able to illustrate. But you know, like any storyboards have to have like arrows and stuff because it's like, eh, this is... do, do you know about the ten? Do you know about the ten thousand hour rule? Oh, what's that? No, not it's by name. A, a journalist, um, um, Malcolm Gladwell, um wrote uh, uh, several books, and, w and one of them is a chapter on the 10,000-hour rule in which he says that craft is more important than genius, and he cites three different examples. Paul Allen, uh, Bill Gates, and Steve Jobs were all born in the mid-50s, and they were exposed very early to the earliest mainframe computers in the 60s, and then they spent 10 years mastering that before they came up with their great machines. The Beatles uh, played uh, cover, they, they were a cover band in Hamburg for 10 years, so that when Destiny knocked in the 60s, they knew exactly what to do. Um, but but 10,000 hours is 10 years of 40-hour weeks. Huh. So uh, he, his feeling is that craft Trump's, uh, I hate to use that word, craft is much more important than genius uh, in making uh, making art. And I have to agree with him. It took me a long, you know, took me a long time to, to figure, I'm still figuring out what screenwriting is about. And I'm sure Ed <laughs> Newmar will say the same thing. Yeah. Co-creator Robocop, yeah. Are you guys still friends to this day, or? Oh, we're, we're, we're best friends. Oh, good. We're, we're, like, <laughs> we're like brothers, yeah. He, he um... He read Smart Mouse, and Neumeier's bar is very high. He liked it a lot. Um, uh, I, I'm going to read his next thing, which he's writing for Paul Verhoeven. Oh, um, oh so awesome. And, and um, it's called... Um, oh, I can't remember the, the full title. Anyway, I'm, I'm sure you'll, you'll hear about it. Yeah. A Modern Sinner or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, Ed, Ed and I are we're just best friends. It's oh, great. Very cool. Yeah, the co-creator RoboCop and all that, and your initial half of RoboCop, so to speak, um, not that it was 50-50 or however it worked, but was, uh, wasn't it titled SuperCop or something, what you were first bringing to the table? Yeah, yeah, when we had lunch, that first fateful lunch, I, I we, we told each other what we were working on, and I had been working on this thing called SuperCop, which is basically was about these fighting suits, sort of like the Tom Cruise film Edge of Tomorrow. Mm, okay, yeah. Like exosuit type stuff. And, yeah. and the suits were starting to affect the psychology of the cops in a bad way. Yeah. So it was more like the um, Dirty Harry 2, where there were bad cops that were emerging from this technology, where Ed's idea was closer to what the, the finished film was, which was uh, a cyborg, a human inside of a robotic thing. Hmm. Huh. Huh. And so was a, most the basic whole idea of Supercop pretty much ingested into Robocop, or is there a lot of, like a lot of difference in Supercop and Robocop? Like, I mean, well, obviously... There, 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 there were a lot of differences. I mean, I think my main contribution was... Um, because I, I, I'm an old hippie who protested the Vietnam War, uh, had to do with a lot of the social criticism in the media breaks. Mm. Oh, um, awesome! Some, the, so brilliant. Some of the cutthroat, the cut. Thank you. The cutthroat behavior in the boardroom. Uh. Um, the the John Wayne lines. Well, we couldn't. You know, it, it was kind of like working in a haiku to write Robocop's lines. You can't. You know, wax poetic or have yeah. a Hamlet, mon ha Hamlet monologue, right? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> um, and and that, that ends up being much more difficult than people realize. Um, and so, I mean, Ed and I are two are different creators. Um, I'm uh, uh, give us both an assignment of writing ten pages. I will write ten different pages and Ed We'll rewrite an original ten pages, and and we'll both end up at the same place. But we're, you know, mm. you don't marry yourself. Yeah. So the fact, the fact that the, the fact that we both had 
separate processes really really helped a lot okay yeah. so yeah it's yeah mountain competition and a lot more yin and yang fitting together perfectly yeah yeah there, there was competition because we were younger and mm. you know mm -hmm. we, were just, we were just young and dumb you know mm -hmm. like most most people under 40 <laughs> uh there were some feral moments um uh, you know, sometimes I hated the way he chewed spaghetti, but, um, <laughs> you know, when, when it was good, it was good. Like mm. we spent all day, uh, one day near the end, Ed kept saying, what's the last thing that Clarence Bodiger makes before Robocop kills him? No, 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 this, that, this. And then as the sun said, I, something leaps to mind, sayonara, Robocop. Oh, yeah. And it said that. And said, "That's it." Oh, wow. So many of the, so many of the details had this back and forth quality to them. Uh, you know, like in music, uh, I guess it's called woodshedding, going to the woodshed in in musical terms. So we would we would it took, uh, you know that that dialogue and 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 the screenplay was picked over. And I mean, I think that's why it's so good. Um, it's literally you can quote every single line from it. I mean, I think every single line. It's like, yeah, there's <laughs> just a you. vibe and a yeah. feel to it, you know. Yeah. Well, it doesn't come along very often. I mean, we did have a good script, but then um, I think Sony mm -hmm. and Fox passed, mm. and John Davison took it into Mike Metaboy at Orion, which was the perfect place because. Um, here was a really large independent with a lot of money. They, you know, they had platoon dollars, mm. and Metavoy, God bless him, was a gunslinger. You know, he mm. wanted, he, he liked deals, he liked making films, and I, I, I'm telling you, John Davison made Robocop look the way it looked. The, the producer, because he worked, he came up through Corman, uh -huh. he oh, knew how to make awesome. a dollar look. Dollar, yeah. dollar looked like a dollar and a half, Very and cool. he knew all these people: uh, Phil Tippett, Rob Bottin, uh, um, uh, all legends, you know, yeah, yeah, and all, all the guys who were analog and goo, you know, before there's not a digital shot in there. Rocco Geoffrey, the matte painter, um, the, he, John is, you know. He doesn't get a lot of credit. I mean, mm. Paul was brilliant, and we mm -hmm. we got we got just the best out of him. But John, I, I can't talk enough about what John did on that film. Hmm. Huh. Can you give an example, of like how he, something he saved? Maybe something like well, the whole movie's iconic. But anything in the movie that was iconic that might have like got thrown out that he fought for, or well, like a, well, maybe a trophy all, he hasn't been this, you know recognized for yet. <laughs> well, the the suit is one thing. I mean, hmm. if somebody. Several directors passed who will go unnamed, but I can imagine this one guy, mm -hmm. uh, Robocop, would have kicked open the door on the precinct and walked in in, in what looked like a wetsuit, right? Oh, okay. Whereas, whereas Botine, I mean, the thing, legend, uh, the howling, oh. the best, I, th I think better than Rick Baker. Um, mm. uh, and, and he also made a suggestion to... Paul Verhoeven that I thought was brilliant because you know this is an illusion right mm -hmm. uh, and when he's in the car he doesn't have the, the his armor on the bottom right because he won't fit in there oh. but <laughs> uh, when, when he walks into the precinct first you see um, here's some doors open and, and one uh, um, arrestee goes what the fuck? Yeah. And then you see, the first time you see Robocop, actually the first time you see Robocop is on a monitor when they... Oh, yeah, him. when they pull the plastic off him and he yeah. walks uh, in the lab or whatever at OCP, right? Or, yeah, yeah. So you, don't see, you don't see the full thing yet. Then yeah. he's behind frosted glass. Mm -hmm. And you see him over the shoulder, turn. maybe? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got yeah. that movie memorized, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then the next time you see him, he's through a chicken wire barricade. Oh, so yeah. So Rob yeah. said, look, be careful slowly reveal the illusion mm. and, and, and that was from Rob and, and Paul executed it perfectly yeah. so I mean that's where wow okay know, wow so he was like yeah he's like a was he technically I a mean, second well, director he was like a second director in that instance but was he technically do you need any kind of credit he, for that he, 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 well no he, no but he, he 
I mean, I think, well, part of Rob's nightmare is having a detectable illusion. Yeah. And so, with, with everything, you know, obviously the devil and legend and the, the thing was probably almost gave him a heart attack 10 times because, mm. um, you know, it's an on camera, non digital functioning thing. So he was always very sensitive to that. And, and I think that just those directorial suggestions really, really helped. It really is like a magical movie. And the fact that it came out in 87 is insanely miraculous, but it, that's also kind of this magical time. I can't remember if like Die Hard came around around the same time for sure, but like, it's just so real. It's like, you know, it's Robocop being made then, then and as well, it's just a, a huge accomplishment, but it just makes it more real, you know? It's just before CGI and, you know, yeah. That's a very good point, Kevin, because, um, I mean, maybe you could uh, uh, re release RoboCop again. Uh, I think so, for sure. Yeah, in theaters, know, like, yeah. A new, a, new, a new RoboCop. Mm. I mean, that's what Amazon is thinking. But huh. when you think about it, um, uh, the... Uh, it is of its time. The, you know, the late 80s were action. I think Die Hard was, was a year before. Lethal Weapon. I mean, that was the height of the uh, action film. And Robocop just fit right into that. And I mean, that's another uh, example of good timing. There was Verhoeven agreeing to direct the film. And there was John Davison and Orion. And also this period of time where... where um, you had this really great, uh, like, genre surge of mm -hmm. all these great action films. I'll say one more thing that we're really lucky with. Sure. After a couple of directors passed, uh, English is called second language. Mm. And so he really relied on us. He would say, well, what does this mean? What is that joke? Can you explain? <laughs> wow. Instead of bringing... Yeah, because it's so funny and it's so brilliant oh. with the sad social oh. satire that I didn't even get till probably middle school. You know, I mean, I loved it as a kid, but then you see it again, and again on TV, edited, mind you, probably you know, with the bad mother crusher and said you're gonna be a bad motherfucker from a, you know, the creator of RoboCop yeah. there in the OCP. But like, um, yeah, but then because as a little kid, I'm like, what a corporation is the bad guy, a businessman? Like, what is he like Lex Luthor? You didn't quite a billion percent get it as a little kid, you know. And then, uh, right. and then as a, you, the older you get, you get your first job. You're like, wow, yeah, corporations are. And then, like, now it's just like, wow, it's like we're there. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> maybe past well, it no, in, a weird, in a weird way. <laughs> I mean, past it scarily. <laughs> very good observation, Paul. And Paul really trusted the script. I yeah. Think, uh, 95% of what's on the screen was in the screenplay. And, you know, another thing about the corporation thing, um, you probably could not make Fight Club now. And I think the... Sponsors or, or why? Why is that? Why? Well, I mean, mm. at the end, the, all these buildings are being Oh, blown, yeah. Right? Whole, like a terroristic, um, quote, terrorist oh, aspect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm. And the social satire, I always called uh, uh, Robocop uh, comic relief for a cynical decade because yeah. Ray Higgins was president mm. and you really, you know, we really brought out the long knives against the Republicans and, the, you know, um, uh, Milton Friedman was pushing um, uh, anti-regulation. Mm. There was a whole series of things around the world where mm. Milton Friedman's Chicago boys went out and disrupted things. You know, they had Allende assassinated with the help of Henry Kissinger. Mm. They had um, uh, Russia put in a straitjacket, and that's why Putin hates us so much. Mm. You know, and, and, and so um, I also think, you know, we had a screening in Dallas in, um, I think it was 2019, and the looks on the faces of the audience after the screening taught me that that film briefly gave people agency because you know we're overwhelmed by we're, we're we're all slaves in a prison without bars now like as you said the corporations so for a brief moment that uh, robocop gave people the whip hand you know that, 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 that they, they could with robocop as the avatar go in and clean up the fallen town mm -hmm. no. 
Huh. I'll, t- I'll tell you one more thing about that. Uh, uh, opening week, I was in New York, Ooh. and I showed my ID to get in free at a multiplex in Times Square. And this was 1987, so not the carny Vegas thing it is now. Uh-huh. Next door was Full Metal Jacket, and the audience was mostly African American, and they went crazy. They, they, uh, it was like catnip for them because mm-hmm. the, the malfunction in the boardroom, the theater was in the shadow of these buildings where we had the malfunction of the Ed 209. Oh. So they were brief, briefly empowered, right, mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of their miserable lives. Huh. Wow. That's truly incredible. <laughs> Man. Good day at the office. Yeah. Oh my God. And were you on? Were you on set a lot for all that? Like, uh, no, o- only for only for about two weeks. I hmm. was set up to direct the second unit, which kind of ended up being a lose lose situation. Uh, John hired Monty Hellman, the uh, director of some good sixties and seventies films, but Paul just was never happy. So. I went away and directed my first feature Hmm. uh, that I co-wrote and then directed for Charlie Band called Deadly Weapon. Hmm. Uh, And we had about three million bucks, and we were shooting it roughly the same time as RoboCup, although I did get over there for the gas station of being blown up. Oh, my God. That's that's crazy. That's like a city block, it looked like, right? Or was it more? Or or just like that? Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that... Literally, the only thing I have a complaint about hmm. has to do with that scene. Because oh, oh. <laughs> in, in three screenplays, I tried to get in um, uh, Shell Motor hmm. Company and blow up a gas station, and it destroys the S, so you have hell oh, and flames. Yeah. And, and Paul shot that, and maybe because uh, he didn't get the joke. Huh. Uh, and he he cut out the close up. I mean, you oh. can see that in a long shot, kind of, but that that that. Yeah, Marabine Shell. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I mean, the yeah. studio wouldn't be against that, right? With all the blood and gore. Oh, in it. No, I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, I wouldn't. No, no. Yeah. I I think it was Paul not quite getting the joke. Hmm. But you know, if he's so he's so religious, though, right? That's kind of wild. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a separate conversation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Huh. That is just, wow. Huh. Jeez. And just the music, the iconic, intense music and everything by um, what, Basil Polidorus was just such a rhythmic flow, so soul-pounding. It just seems like it goes on yeah. and on and on forever. I just remember that from the gas station. Well, from every scene. It just, it just oh. It may be the best the soundtrack, the best orchestrated uh, soundtrack in, in the Anvil. The, the Anvil was great. I agree. Oh, I mean everything. I mean every from when he goes in, the whole haunting music melody when he goes in, or if he goes into the home that's being sold, and I mean just everything. That's every right. little. I mean the the, the um, inspiring kind of almost like a graduation type melody it hits during the credit. You just can't turn off the credits even when you watch RoboCop. It's just. <laughs> It's almost too good. It's wild, you know? <laughs> yeah, he did a great job. Well, you are also in the unique category to answer two super fan questions. Because when I talked to a couple of Super RoboCop fans, when I, when I t- told people that you were going to be on, um, I was like, okay, yeah. Okay, some official <laughs> canon answering questions that are on the edge of real RoboCop super fans. Because not only do you write the film, obviously, but also the uh, the pilot, right? Or a couple episodes of the uh, the initial RoboCop TV series that was so good. Um, where exactly in the RoboCop TV series does it fall into the timeline of RoboCop? Is it after Part Three? Just that's a, that's a good question. Hmm. Um, the, it, it was. Um... I think in the early 90s, the, the Canadian company acquired uh, TV rights, and Ed and I had first refusal on a pilot, and um, 
So we wrote, we had a lot of fun writing this um, script about a blooming friendship between Robocop and something called Neurobrain, which is a mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. version of uh, artificial intelligence. Um, and uh, we, uh, it was, um, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, it was reviewed better than uh, Robocop 2 and 3. Yeah, in my opinion, for sure, and not not to not to bash those, but yeah, in my opinion, for sure, it almost that's why it's almost to me like when I was, I remember because that came out and that was really right up my alley. I was probably really in the target demo for that because, I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I loved RoboCop as a kid, obviously, but I mean, it was it, at times being like a I don't know, ten year old or whatever I was um, when I saw it on VHS like in '89 or '90 or something. Like that, but uh, you know, there are a lot of gory parts. You kind of wince at a little bit, like you know puppeteer peter william blown away like oh my god so to this day i can't believe how real it is but um but the show is like perfectly for perfectly made for my age group right then and it reached probably a lot of uh young viewers for the first time but it, it totally had the vibe of robocop the film because it has commander cash and all the the corporate like the media break type stuff if not literal media break i can't remember if it was called media break on it but they had all those segments and the fake commercials and in the yeah. same vibe, yeah, we, we, it just wasn't rated R, obviously, or, or TV-14 or whatever would be the equivalent back then, if that was even a thing. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, gave, they, they gave us a lot of freedom at that point. I mean, the what people who worked on the sequels, we, we were, we were um, fired off the sequel. Whoa, no. Because of the right... Yeah. No, because of the writer's strike. Yeah, oh, okay. Writer's I was going to say, like, my God. Okay. <laughs> no. no, there's something called force majeure, which is an act of God. And the strike was considered something that no one could control. So um, they replaced us with uh, Frank Miller. Hmm. And then great, Raymond, great comic Wayland legend. Green. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a very good screenwriter, though. No, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, definitely, it's definitely isn't quite old, yeah. <laughs> but but Wayland Green is pretty good. I mean, I think uh, The Wild Bunch is not bad. Um, so, um, we d- didn't, and, and, and um, my, my point is that many times um, people think, sort of like, you know, on the playground when you're, trying to tie on your shoes and you can't quite get it right and somebody's looking over your shoulder and says, here, let me try that. Let me, I can mm. do that. Um, I think a, a lot of uh, storytellers mistake uh, the, the ability to do a good Robocop for how, how difficult it is because, mm. we, I mean, there were three or four rules that Ed and I uh, came to understand about the material. Robocop can't Ride a bicycle. Mm-hmm. He can't talk. He, he can't talk on the phone. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> he, he can't kiss a girl, and he can't fly. Oh so my god! In, in, in Robocop Three, they have him flying. Uh-huh, and Ed pointed out. Ed pointed out that he also gets chopped up by a samurai, and mm. you don't want to see Robocop. Uh, disembodied like and helpless like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 that, that's that's Ed's observation, which I have to agree with. You know, you don't. Uh, and I think that the reboot uh, also had some problems with. I, I guess you have to call it dis- disembodiment. Mm. Remember, remember, he's uh, he's he, he's taken apart, and we mm. see him, tra- you know, being transparent. Uh, and then he's uh, put back together, and it's kind of a um, it's 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 a horror image. You don't you don't want to see the, the hero disempowered that way. That, that's mm-hmm. the only way I know how to describe it. Yeah, I haven't even seen the the remake just because like I remember it one I mean, years ago. I mean, it should, it should be common sense. Like you just can't remake RoboCop, not not the original. You know, and you can you can maybe make a sequel if someone's brilliant enough, and you know, there's enough creatives in there. But also, it's I, I don't I don't really, hmm. I haven't even pondered lately if you should remake or do a sequel because it really takes someone, hopefully the originals like you, you know, and Ed, you know, doing it. Because, I mean, we're in a different time where I don't even know if you could quite, yeah. you know? Ed <laughs> and, and I have had some, some conversations about that. It we would be almost even things. more miraculous just because the times we live in, you know, to get at me yeah. in a weird way. But what we've had, what we had an idea 
Museum commissioned us to write because they had the rights from Orion mm. in 2017 to write a feature. Basically, the cold open is Robocop uh, going out and trying to fight uh, a riot in Detroit, and a gang has a um, RPG and hits him in the chest, yeah. fade out, uh, title card, 30 years later. Oh. And we come up on New Detroit and a new villain um, uh, based a little bit on uh, one of these billionaires. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, there's crime everywhere. Old Detroit is just a festering mess. And so somebody pitches the idea isn't isn't Robocop somewhere? And so go down, they go down to the sub-basement, and he's uh, encased in this um, bio-plexi, a lot like Han Solo was at the end of the mm-hmm. second. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so they, re- they they revive him and rebuild him. Huh. So so he's kind of Rip Van Winkle. He's a oh. late 80s guy oh. uh, 30 years yeah. in the future. Awesome. Okay. That's... Yeah. Huh. It was it was a great a great script, but we went in the Marvel direction, two hundred million dollars, a little too rich, so it just that's just sitting on a shelf, and now Amazon huh. owns the rights, and we'll see what they do. You know? hmm. uh, so Robocop was put in mothballs because he was so horribly injured and kind of essentially cryogenically frozen, kind of ish, maybe I guess, right? Is that and then uh, exactly. revived? Exactly. Oh, okay, exactly. Oh. Huh. Oh, oh, wait, really quick before, I, I mean, uh, we have plenty of time still, but I wanted to not forget this question. This was a big question that I've had, I remember having in middle school or whenever the Robocop the TV series came out for me, I think it was middle school. Um, and maybe it's obvious, but I don't think it's quite said in, in the show, unless we glazed over it, but another super fan asked me, that. I was like, oh yeah, I gotta know. Because I did rewatch the pilot to Robocop, uh, it's on Roku, or it's on somewhere streaming, <laughs> easy search, I was like, oh. Um... <laughs> Is Pudface, I think his last name is Morgan, is Pudface Morgan, this big iconic villain in the Rogue's Gallery of Robocop in the TV series, is he Emil from the climax of Robocop, the first film when he gets, you know, washed in toxic waste or or not? It seems like well, that's at least I'm, hinted I'm at. I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. That's way down in the weeds. Thank you, <laughs> Andrew that. Actually, Pudface was something Ed and I contributed to a, I think it was a cell phone app which you know there's a there's a way you can like kill villains through some kind of kind of gaming app i can't remember the exact platform it ended up on but uh, ed and i were invited in to that writer's room where they had you know a bunch of really funny talented people like maybe six or eight other people trying to come up with a a cell phone interactive game I think that was the platform, mm. and Pudface comes from that. Oh, and then so you just decided to throw him in RoboCop the series. I'm like, you know what? Huh? Well, because I remember in the pilot of RoboCop, um, even it's like, oh, maybe it's him. You know, you're thinking it's like a little kid, like, wow, you know, because you want to tie things together. You know, you want, you know, you know, uh, formations and stuff, and you know, so like, but he also says something like, RoboCop made me X amount of years ago and as a little kid you're like oh maybe that's when the movie wasn't it came out you know 87 it's a wink to this movie or not because he says something in the pilot like you know ever since Robocop deformed me X amount of years ago. okay wow so Pudface is not officially Emil okay you, you, oh yeah Emil explodes what am I saying yeah <laughs> I was thinking maybe you know, oh wow yeah Huh. You, you might have you might have stumped the writer there because it was great having RoboCop have like a rogues gallery kind of character, and then you know, like, oh, it's Buttface, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and I mean, and that that genre really lends itself to some um, car, cartoon like Batman. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Oh, and I love that as a kid because I loved comics already when I first saw Robocop. But like, I love that it was like a real serious, you know, comic character, because even as a little kid, you know, you're you're that age, maybe from when it from when you're first conscious, you want to be you want to be seen more serious. You want to be even though you're a little kid, you want to be a man, you know. So I remember like when Batman was coming out and it looked so dark and everything. I was like, oh, maybe Robin's going to die in it because I think Robin died in the comics around then. And 
So yeah, it's like yeah. you really want to be more serious. So, huh? Well, well it's interesting. Um, the uh, the the reboot uh, that uh, Jose Padilla did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all the fans of the original RoboCop didn't like the reboot because it was PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. everybody in China did not see. Uh, the original, and they love the reboot. Oh, it, was, it wasn't. Why was RoboCop not released in China? They just it wasn't. Was there some sort of weird? Uh, it, it, it was the late eighties. It probably huh. got some kind of release. But yeah. I think, wow. You know, that's the dark ages of, of, of film to a certain extent. Huh. Um. So it, it kind of it, that kind of signaled to me that RoboCop does have a kind of uh, Batman like. Uh, Fountain, mm-hmm. uh, 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 as as a genre, mm-hmm. um, and, and again, you know, we'll see we'll see what Amazon does. Fingers crossed. Yeah. It was so funny all the toys that came out, and then, I mean, you saw it with Rambo and stuff at the time, but it was this rated R, very bloody movie coming out, and uh, but there were toys. I remember the RoboCop. I don't know if that was based off the movie or the show, but they had the little caps in the back where like you know gunfire action and. A RoboCop yeah, animated yeah. series, I remember, which I feel like might have been Marvel, maybe, but, and, you know, there was comics and stuff, so it's just so funny. It's like, oh, how are kids supposed to know this? But okay, I guess we're all seeing rated R movies. And we were, you know, yeah, so, it, somehow it, we were. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it's unfortunate, you know, because of my teaching, I, I have undergraduates never seen um, Network being there, wow. or some of the great, you know, the, yeah. the great classics. So, so and, you know, to your point, of uh, 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 that there's only recent history among a lot of people. There's hmm. not a lot of ancient history. Huh? Yeah, that is wild. Like, I mean, like things like Network. Like, I don't even know if I've seen it all the way through, but there's just some things you just kind of feel like you know. Uh, like, you know, I know you're mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. I just, you know, like, it's almost weird. It's almost like, uh, that U2 song, like where you don't know you could feel somehow <laughs> like, uh, like I know what howdy doody time is, but that was way before. That's probably when my parents were kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, no, you're right. it's so weird, oh, right? Uh, <laughs> network, network really influenced NMI as writers hmm. and had its own influence on Robocop because, of, oh yeah. An know, OCP executive definitely so could have yelled that, right? <laughs> I'm mad as hell. Yeah. <laughs> It just definitely spoke to everybody, RoboCop. Man, just every moment of that movie, really, you could just, I don't know, it lives, it should live rent-free in your head, you know, just, you know, little things like... <laughs> live rent-free in your head, that's another one, Kevin, I'm going to borrow that. Oh, yeah, yeah, for, <laughs> like, for so, just little moments in my, when I, this morning I was thinking of RoboCop, yeah, because I was going to, you know, talk to you today, and like, uh... Yeah, just like I don't know, like like, like the little look like at the guy that gets shot by a two and nine. He's like, yes sir, yes sir. He doesn't understand he's gonna be shot. <laughs> Get the gun. Just every little moment from you're in a hurry in the bathroom. You don't want to piss down your leg like they do when they run away from uh, Dick Jones and um. Uh, <laughs> it should, it <laughs> should live rent, It should live rent free in your head. Love yeah, it. yeah, like like Murphy with his memories, <laughs> shaking to the side in his chair. Man. Yeah. Oh, do you ever do you ever do like a lot of us? Uh, I guess this might be a two part question. The RoboCop walk, like after you watch it, or I mean, or since you worked. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, the RoboCop walk. Yeah. Uh, the the Orion wanted to have Schwarzenegger be RoboCop, but he would have looked like the Michelin. Oh my right? God, he would have been gigantic because the suit. Oh. I mean, P- Peter Weller yeah, had yeah. to be so thin because the suit, right? So wow. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Well, he would have been like Ed 209. Schwarzenegger would have been like Juggernaut or yeah, Ed 209 so, size. <laughs> it's crazy. So, so um, hmm. uh, Weller hired a mime, hmm. Yoni, I can't remember his last name, a New York mime, to, to give uh, Weller some movement coaching. Wow. Uh, huh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's, yeah. And, and, and Joni Noah or something, I can't hmm. remember his last name, 
That's amazing that the, the act, I mean, he's the lead actor in it and everything. So, like, huh, did you have to have that cleared, or was he just like, Paul, I'm doing this? Or I wonder how that works. Oh, when, like... No, no, I don't think there was a clearance issue. I, I, I just think that Yoni uh, uh, had, had just a great sense hmm. of how to, even though it probably wasn't mechanically completely accurate, hmm. he, he, there was this, this thing he, he coached Peter on. They've got those great movements. It's just so and great. I mean, you watch me, you find yourself doing that when you're getting a fork out of the drawer or just moving, you know, and just even like the, <laughs> the kind of the, I want to say fencing stance he does when he shoots, like a, at least in the iconic cocaine factory scene. Just, yeah. oh, yeah. Come quietly or there will be. Yeah, trouble, trouble. trouble. Yeah, I, I do the turn uh, that he does at least uh, off the top of my head when he's talking to the kids on the on the news. <laughs> he does the, the spin, you know, I might right. spin to look at my cats like, so was in the script did you have did you and ed have um a vision of how robocop moved before that or did you just in your minds oh he's walk robocop's walking supercop robocop's you walking know, that, was, that was probably probably under described hmm. and because it is a cinematic thing yeah um, it's very iconic i mean yeah yeah yeah, so, so I think some of that arrived. I mean, one of the things I've learned having directed a couple of features is that once it's cast, your job is easier because you're carrying around all of these ideas about delivery and how something should be staged. And now the actors can give you some ideas, and they're the ones who are responsible. So the, 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 the film itself did build... I mean, and you have to look at, uh, with Ed 209, uh, uh, Phil Tippett, you know, who did the Empire Tank Walkers, mm. he had a, 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 a um, protege a pro, uh, uh, who really, really jumped on the Robocop thing. Uh, and all these movements, the, the, the pneumatic movements, the little bolts, uh, all of that, uh, Harryhausen animation just, I mean, I think Harry, Harryhausen hadn't been appreciated, all, all of that kind of animatronics, uh, until Phil did the uh, Ed 209 stuff. And again, that's that's John Davison contacting the best of the best. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it really, yeah, it was, oh. And it must have been like like the war of filmmaking, like I said, a lot of like independent filmmakers and stuff. But I mean, like I mean, just to make this such a different thing at the time, and with Orion, and you guys must have been like hemorrhaging money, right? I mean, the creation of all, and all the blood, the the puppetry. Which I still can't get over the puppet of uh, Peter Weller getting shot in that warehouse, or the yeah, that's oh, another great story. That's insane. That's a great story. You know that the the. the the puppet was uh, powered by a bicycle. So you had like so a crew way. guy pedaling or something or, or what? Yeah, or, and, wow. and, and that, 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 that allowed uh, Weller to sort of sit up just before he gets shot in the head. And Paul wanted to have it be all in one shot without mm, a cut. So like a runner. Really landed yeah. in, in that moment. And, and I think uh, Rob's work, Rob O'Tee's work on The Thing uh really helped him realize this new and you know rob also did um edward norton putting the gun in his mouth in fight club oh okay yeah so rob huh. rob, is, rob is the best he was the king he is the king of um animatronic but you know non-cgi mm -hmm. uh renderings um like even like say you watch RoboCop on TV or um or something that kind of shows some moments where you can tell there's like a green screen or something. I want to say like off the top of my head like when RoboCop's uh, kind of not running because he can't quite run, but running away from Ed Two Hundred Nine after he's on the stairs. You know you can kind of see green. Yeah. Uh, but even then, it's so special and everything and more practical. I mean, in the stop motion of Ed Two Hundred Nine, it's just yeah, it definitely was like 
miraculous that it came out when it no, did. No, no. It made it so all the more special again, you know. No, no, no digital shots. There were yeah. matte paintings that Rocco Geoffrey did. Rocco was uh, mentored by Matt Urisich, who did all the matte paintings for the Lucas films, and Rocco did a great job. You know, he hmm. extended the floors of Dallas City Hall. Hmm. Uh, there's the elevator shot after when Morton uh, and Kenny are, are coming down from the boardroom massacre. Mm. I mean, just, you know, everybody, everybody was just at the height of their powers. Man. So many famous lines. Bitches leave and everything. Yeah. yeah like, <laughs> I still get mad when people say something about, like, oh, oh, Red Foreman, he's in Robocop. I'm like, no, no, no. Clarence Boddicker might be in that 70s show, but no, no. You get that, <laughs> you get that shit straight, buddy. <laughs> Well, that <laughs> actor, uh, Kurtwood Smith, yeah. is one of the most gentle people you'll ever oh, meet. Oh, really? I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's got to be more gentle than Clarence for sure, right? But I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's good to know. I, 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 a real think, testament. I think that, that <laughs> a person with that kind of character can play a psycho much better. And Paul, by the way, uh, told all, all uh, Clarence and his gang, uh, "Look, go away and play around with stuff." You know, he wanted them to bond. To become a gang, uh, to really become uh, the boys. Wow. Yeah, yeah, to become the boys, exactly. Huh. Exactly. Uh, and uh, we were able to do a rainbow gang instead of being overtly racist, which, mm -hmm. thank God, you know, because a lot of these... Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, if it, was just, <laughs> if it was just all black or all, you know, yeah. Yeah, Italian well, or something Walter, like that. Walter Hill's The Warriors... Uh, dodged mm. a similar bullet, I think. Yeah. Um, if you remember. Back in '79, yeah. Classic. Yeah. So, um, when when the you know the, the didn't have to be the stereotypes weren't being exploited. Huh. Yeah, I went to uh, like side note. I was um I went to Martin Luther King Elementary where I was the only white kid for a while, and so like I really you know like all, all black friends and whole you know black upbringing uh, those uh those years so i really saw like they loved robocop you know in the black community um was, so i always know i always noticed stuff where, where, hmm? where was that where was that oh portland, portland oregon martin, uh, martin luther king elementary in uh north portland wow but yeah. but there was stuff I mean, like i always uh, noticed uh, where like you're playing thundercats for example and you didn't think about it at all you're being a white kid or italian kid and like, but uh, a lot of black kids wanted to be Panthro because you could tell Panthro was voiced by a black guy. Um, yeah. And some things you notice, like I remember there was like, I want to say maybe it was probably the Red Ninja Jinx from G.I. Joe and someone was playing with it and they said it was Spider-Man. I'm like, oh, I'm Spider-Man. You know? So when people like ro love RoboCop, so I mean, it's, that's an, all, in, you know, another testament of coolness <laughs> that RoboCop was so beloved. And, and you had, like you said, the rainbow group of um, characters before any kind of, you know, quote, woke and quote era. So it's like a real testament yeah. of... The legitimacy, like you well, know, you know it's, it's, it's true. I, I, I grew up in Monrovia, California, mm. and it was uh, thirty percent African American. So mm. I wasn't terrified when I got out of the suburbs, you know, to go to college, mm. to uh, you know, see a, a black person. A lot of people live in a in, in a very sheltered world, and, and mm. I fortunately uh, was able to see a little bit more about the world not that i had didn't have problems that yeah. uh, or i had to be tutored by my black friends because mm. you know yeah. the, the, the country is still screwed up and all of that and there's still a lot of work to be done yeah like uh because I, I, I had a single mother i saw my dad on the weekends and stuff but um um parents were divorced and so i went to um this daycare center that happened to me in a i found out later a black neighborhood so i went to that's why i went to martin luther king elementary so yeah i mean i was potty trained and taught to read by you know a lot of black ladies and stuff so i mean it just kind of kind of shaped so i mean i definitely yeah robocop was definitely beloved in uh in that community not just across the board <laughs> i can tell you <laughs> thanks for sharing that Thank yeah you. no for sure so Man. So speaking of like groups and seeing RoboCop and, and different groups and stuff, you you have this unique thing being co-creator RoboCop, and not only being so close, but being like the soul of it, half the soul of it, or whatever, so to speak. But um, you got to experience the the joy of it being made, your creation being made, but also your face wasn't plastered everywhere, like you know Peter Weller and you know Nancy Allen and everybody. 
So, like, do you have any uh, unique experiences or, or tales of, like, you know, being, like, at a store at the time or somewhere where people are talking about RoboCop Mania, so to speak? And you're like, yeah. You well, know, being the proud papa there, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, when it played in Westwood, uh, after, the, after the, well, it, during the premiere in Westwood in, in UCLA, uh, a rollback was a 12-year-old and his father, and at, at, when... Uh, there's a fade out after Wellmer's torture murder about 25 minutes in. Mm. The kid tur- the kid turns to his dad and says, "Is it over? Is the movie over? It was so short." <laughs> oh my god! Wow. <laughs> but and then and then out on the street, um, I ran into Billy Crystal wow. and a, a couple of friends, and I said, "Hey, Billy, I co-wrote that." And Billy said. That's terrific, man. That's just terrific. Really great film. So, you know, there were encounters like that. You know, a restaurant, a waiter would find out that that I was the co-writer and start, you know, feeding lines and stuff. So that part has been um, a gift that keeps on giving. I'm I'm very lucky. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I, I have a lot of friends from film school who never owned a win like that. And Ed and I do not take it lightly or for granted mm. what happened. You know, it was a very, very lucky moment that, that kind of made our careers. Huh. Awesome. Oh. Well, it's good when you hear it's like, you know, someone that's like a good person that happening to you and, you know, appreciating that. And... Huh. Man. Hmm. So awesome. And you're also so- an accomplished landscape photographer too, right? With your work in galleries and Carmel and San Francisco? Interesting interesting journey. Uh, I'm in a gallery in Carmel called Photography West, and I shoot primarily 8x10 sheet film. Hmm. And then uh, that film is processed, and I photochemically enlarge the um, negatives to 30 by 40 inch prints, which requires a lot of swearing. It's not, there are no <laughs> digital steps. Oh, wow. Um, but I mean, it's funny how that happened. I mean, I, I started out as a cinematographer mm. uh, and then uh, then became a writer. Um, so I, I learned some principles about photography and I had a, an epic fail in 2004 when my third feature as a writer-director, I co-wrote a script with Ed called Marathon about a heist during the LA Marathon. It's a 24-hour real-time thriller. And I had Billy Bob reading it. We were going to try to cast Beyonce. Um, I I had twin Ethiopians, uh, one at the start finish line uh, and one in the race. And we were going to shoot it like Day of the Jackal, the originals, where we'd shoot race footage. And then cross-cut between that and some bank robbers who were robbing, robbing a bank inside the marathon race course, which sort of blocked the cops from getting to them. And it was really a great script. We got all the way up to um, getting ready to get a green light, and the company sold, and the new uh, heads of the new company put in a turnaround. So it was like, oh, shit. So... I said, I'm going to do something that only I can screw up. So I started doing this landscape photography, black <laughs> and white. Um, and then I'm out there on my own, no producer, no studio. If anybody's going to mess it up, it's going to be me. <laughs> and, and that's sort of how it started. Huh. Huh. And is it like a real passion project for you? Do you, like, you get like it's almost meditative in a way? Or is it just uh, it, it, something else? It, it is meditative. Hmm. Um, and I... Uh, Sammy's camera in L.A., Sammy Kaminowitz, uh gave me an 8x10 enlarger that the Getty used to own for a very good price. He sort of gifted it to me, and it's in my garage now. I was just working there last night. I'm going to go back in tonight. Um, I mean, I think, what, 100 people may enlarge to 30 by 40 using photochemicals, 100 people in the world. I mean, I you know. It's it's the hobby from hell, basically. <laughs> you gotta put that in a line in a script. I like that. The hobby from hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I think I've sold uh, six figures worth of prints. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the lunch money, uh, it's good for lunch money. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, if you ever get fed up 100% with Hollywood, just, yeah. Wow. Exactly. Well, you're definitely I'm fed up with Hollywood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Could you not be right? <laughs> yeah. Man. Oh, 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 oh. Whew. Well, so, yeah. so Kevin, um, yeah. is it about time to? Uh, if, if you have a lot more questions, can we reconvene? Um, oh no, you gotta you gotta hit the you gotta hit the swimming. You're gonna swim, right? You got some laps to do, don't you? Good one, man. Yeah. You took your memory pill this morning. You <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's my Murphy. No, definitely. Yeah, no. I mean, I I can just keep you on forever, but no, definitely, bro. Uh, you've answered uh, more than enough. You put in your time. You can be you can be out with good behavior. Just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> no, but thanks so much you, though, you, for real. Do, yeah. Do you do you have uh, now that I have your phone number? You want me to text you my email so that we can uh, stay in touch? Yeah, I would love that. I'd be honored. Yeah. Are you still in Portland? I'm still in Portland. Yeah, by and large. You know, I come to LA for filming this or that, but yeah, I mean, my whole family's in Portland, so you know. And then with the there was the COVID bubble, so I had to be here for a bit, and then you know. Boom. You ever come up here or no? Um, I, I, I made a film. My second film as a director I made in Seattle a while ago. Um, I have driven through. You have too many bridges up there, dude. We have a lot of bridges, yeah. I mean, at least we don't we don't have a lot of earthquakes, though. So at least it's, you're on You're like, oh, I'm on a bridge. Okay, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, there to kind of to piggyback on the whole uh, race thing, uh, since I gave a proper introduction to some people, I'm like, wait, what? Like, I remember when I first went to Seattle a lot with a friend, with an old, with an old best friendy. Uh, I'd be like, what the hell, Seattle? It's just like a a cleaner, whiter Portland. What the fuck? You know, so it wasn't that. <laughs> it's very true. And also, <laughs> like, what is like, this? You guys, you guys wear raincoats. The, the Seattle people have umbrellas. So yeah. Right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thanks so well, much for sharing. Good, good yeah. luck. Oh yeah, I appreciate your interest. Oh, for sure, and I'm so glad. Yeah, you're such a, an awesome, well-rounded person. Not you know, not like uh, someone evil that just fell into making this this legendary, awesome thing. I mean, obviously your fingerprints are all over, and it's such a special thing. So you caught me on a good day, Oh yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for sharing such treasured insights and your story as well. So we'll be in touch. All right, man. Hey. Let's, let's stay in touch. I'll, I'll text you my email. Oh, I'd love it. Thanks, man. Okay, take care, Kevin. Have a good swim. Good night. <laughs> Thank you. And that was legendary Michael Miner. Well, friends, the theater lights have come back on overhead. Please clean up the candy wrappers you snuck in and traverse safely. See you next week. Or super fans online at patreon.com backslash that Kev one show. What's better than your favorite talk show? Well, maybe homemade delicious food, cold beer, or a drink of your choosing in a comfortable atmosphere. Well, look no further than the Boulevard Tap House for the world-famous fish and chips, seafood, all-around delicious menu with pizza, all kinds of food. Wings, steak bites, anything you can imagine. We want to watch the big game or catch some live jazz. We pick the right night. Open seven days a week. Go to BoulevardTapHouse.com right now. I like to go to their Terwilliger Curve location. That's the uh, the uh, home location for their not only their fish and chips, and they knew that they always used to give me uh, um, <laughs> Caesar Caesar chicken salad and wine. Um, they kind of made jokes and made fun of me that my favorite food there now might just be the brand new Mark Kevin. That's a margarita pizza named after me. <laughs> Don't know if they did it because I'm Italian or what, but I had it and it is delicious and uh, dare I say nutritious. Anyway, friends, go on in, have a great time. When you're there, you truly are family. No cap. Enjoy the Boulevard Tap House today. This portion of that Kev One show is supported by Bohemian Dream Gifts, made with organic and natural oils that nourish and hydrate your skin.
Man, I don't know if it's the weather outside or the gym that was killing my skin. Because my right elbow on the, uh, it itched like the Dickens. Like I was becoming like the lizard from Marvel Comics. Um, I think it's that machine where you put your elbow in and do the lifts, you know, for the bicep. But uh, I was itching my skin like crazy during, uh, well, I won't say who because I don't want them associated with rough skin with one of our guests <laughs> here in the near future here. <laughs> but my left, my right elbow was getting ashy and coming up, getting red and irritated. Anyway, I used some of the promotional cookie dough body oil from Bohemian Dream Gifts that they gave us. And my skin, I'm not kidding, came back. I can vouch for that one. The cookie dough oil baby body oil. The cookie dough body oil brought my skin back to life like an Evanescent song. I'm not kidding. My skin is smooth and happy again. 100%. You can buy cookie dough oil on Etsy at the Bohemian Dream Gifts shop. Check out their other stuff as well, but that's one that I... I swear by now. <laughs> and as soon as my promotional one runs out, I'm going to order some myself. So go to Etsy and visit the Bohemian Dream Gifts shop today.